Welcome to uh, the Heal the Divide Funder Series. Today, our focus is on helping clients tap into their emotional wisdom and emotions as practice. And I, um, I have been wanting to have Dan on as a guest for quite some time, ever since I heard him speak. I can't even remember to what group like years ago. So I am happy to share um, Dan Newby with you today, who I'll give a proper introduction to in just a moment. So I'm Allison with Learning in Action. I'm joined with my colleague, Dana. Hi, Dana. Thanks for your support today. And uh, we do these free podinars, and we've been doing them for like five years now, almost monthly. And we do them because we genuinely want to inspire, to connect, to inform all of you who do this work of helping other people learn and grow and develop. And our mission and learning in action is to, is to heal the ways in which we're divided from ourselves. And when we, with our belief that when we heal the ways in which we're divided from ourselves, we can heal what divides us. And emotions are such an integral part of all that, of us really truly understanding what's happening with us at an emotional level can be part of what heals what divides us from ourselves and each other. So what's a podinar? It's a word we made up cross between a podcast and a webinar, integrates the elements of an interview <laughs> like a podcast and it's interactive like a, a webinar might be. So what's our intention for today? We're gonna talk about what emotional literacy is, how to develop it, why we should, how coaches can use emotions to help their clients go deeper, how to help clients identify what's underneath the emotion they're feeling, what it looks like to put emotions at the center of our coaching, and how to get our clients to buy in That's kind of to the importance of emotions. We know our, some clients can kind of poo-poo. Why are we talking about emotions and why is that important? And with that, I'm really happy to be um, introducing you to our guest, Dan Newby. Dan's a champion of emotional literacy. He works with leaders, educators, and coaches worldwide. His passion is for helping emotional literacy become common sense and emotions a tool for daily use. He has authored four books on emotional literacy and its application to coaching. He regularly leads his course, Emotion-Centered Coaching for Coaches and People Who Support People, including leaders, therapists, educators, faith leaders, and parents. He has worked with leaders in U.S., Germany, Italy, El Salvador, Mexico, Slovakia, U.K., Singapore, and Canada. He often combines individual and group work and is the originator of Emotion-Centered Coaching. So... Thank you so much, Dan, for being here. <laughs> Absolutely, my pleasure. Kind of a lot, wasn't it? Delighted. <laughs> it's a lot to hear about oneself all condensed like that. So I don't go around thinking about myself that way every day. So lovely to hear. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. So, so you have been um, coaching and teaching and training for a long, long time. You mm. were with Newfield for mm -hmm. a long, long time, teaching, coach training there. How did you come to the space of choosing emotions as a kind of focal point for your work? 
Yeah. Well, uh, there's two answers to this. The first answer is quite personal in the sense that I struggled in my late 30s and 40s enormously in life. And um, it was quite dark those years. And I thought, well, maybe I missed something, right? I missed, I missed a class or I missed learning something. Um, and so for a while, I thought, well, there was an intellectual answer. But little by little, what I recognized was it was my emotional ignorance. So I had emotions. I knew I had emotions, but I had no idea what to do with them. I did not name them. And really, they ran my life and in ways that were not particularly beneficial. So the first part is that for me, this is really valuable work to me personally because it changed my life. But then when I moved into coaching in 1999 and later began working with Newfield, even though we were an ontological coaching school, so we acknowledged the value of emotions because of the amount of time we had and because of everything that needed to be covered in the training, is we still primarily worked with language. And we acknowledged, okay, emotions are important, but we really just scratched the surface. And so in 2012, when I left there and I moved to Spain and got married and started thinking about, well, what am I going to focus on? I realized that it was really what I loved. It was really the place that I wanted to focus. I saw how it changed my life personally, but also as a coach and as somebody who trained coaches, I could see that, wow, here was a tool that we really hadn't gone deep enough into we really weren't leveraging as coaches and most of us were still pretty much trained to work with language versus somatically or with emotions and for me emotions were it yeah yeah well i can i can imagine that one of the first ways that you might start putting centers putting emotions at the center of your coaching starts with having a language for it <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and so that's where I can imagine emotional literacy comes in. Is that how you see it? Yeah. So actually what I find is that people of all ages, even young children, have a tremendous amount of emotional wisdom. You know, they know they have emotions, emotions move them. And if you give them the language, then they can name the emotion. And even with first graders, I've done this work and I have principals who work with elementary school students in this way. And so what I find is that people, it's not that they, they lack any sort of wisdom, they just don't have the language. They don't know how to articulate emotions. They use the same 15 or 20 words to name their emotions repeatedly. And their whole concept of emotions for me is based on a lot of either myths or uh, things we've learned that are not particularly helpful if we want to work with emotions in a practical way. And so this is emotional literacy. And, you know, you can imagine if you were linguistically illiterate, how that would change your life, how you, you know, you couldn't read the slides, you couldn't send a text, you couldn't, there's so much you couldn't do if you didn't have linguistic literacy. And we put so much attention on that because we think it's so valuable. And yet, if we move to another domain, if we move to emotions, we really haven't paid much attention to that at all. And for me, that's the missing piece, which is why I intentionally talk about emotional literacy versus emotional intelligence, because yeah, we're all emotionally intelligent, but the question is, can we access it? 
So you talk a lot, and that's one of the things I really got interested in your work, is you've you've talked a lot about the myths and misconceptions around Mm -hmm. emotions. Do you find it useful to talk with your clients about what some of those myths and misconceptions are? Or do you just go straight to teaching them about emotional literacy? I would say it really depends on the client. So there are some clients that are very aware. There's some clients who come to me and they say, I know there's not positive and negative emotions. I know, you know, they already have something. But what I find is that there are a lot of um, things that are helpful to presence when I begin working with a client. And, um, you know, one of them is that, is that if you can take any emotion and see that, oh, there's moments when it serves us and there's moments when it's a barrier. And so for us to label it as positive or negative or good or bad actually is not very helpful. So if we take away that assessment or that judgment about emotions and we just see emotions as the energy that moves us, then suddenly they become accessible in a new way. So there are certain fundamental things that I share usually before the coaching. So when we're building the relationship or when they're interviewing me as a coach where I say, you know, I will coach with language and we'll work somatically, but I also want to be quite open that primarily where my focus is going to be is on emotions because I see emotions as the energy that moves us, which means if we're stuck, if we're not moving, there's an ener- there's an emotion there that is keeping us from moving. And we also have the opportunity to shift emotions. We can choose emotions. So we have latitude to navigate our emotions that most people don't realize. And so I'm quite open with coaches about that. And sometimes they decide not to work with me because that's not what they want to do. But I would say that the majority and an increasing number actually come to me to say, well, I've had an emotional, uh, an IQ assessment, an EQ assessment, and I can see there's something there for me to learn. Where do I begin? And so sometimes they actually are asking me more for teaching than for coaching. But, um, you know, very often they say, okay, well, I haven't tried this. Let's go. You know, I'm willing to do this. And of course, I always put it in their court as, as a coach, you know, meet them where they are. They can always say, not interested in going there. So, you know, they're, they're running the conversation in that sense. As the coachee, they have full choice. And I have had, you know, a number of coaches who it takes them three or four or five successions before they really get to the point of comfort of being able to just speak from what emotion are they experiencing and that we can investigate. So again, it's for some people, it's a very slow process. For some people, they want to jump right in, really depends on the client, but it's always their choice. Is this an area you want to work or not? Do you see the value or not? And then if you do, great, let's go explore. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious how, how you've gotten your head around how you integrate a degree of training into your coaching you know we you know at least I, I came away from you know all my ICF training kind of going like <laughs> we don't train you know we don't like we coaches just meet the right right and, and yeah. yet our clients aren't educated yep. to a degree so I, I, how do you think about that and work with that 
Well, I used to train according to ICF standards, so I'm pretty familiar with those. And, you know, when I'm training coaches in, in this methodology, I say, well, don't do this when you go apply for certification because ICF won't like it. But how I began to see it is that imagine I was coaching you and we were coaching around finances. You said, oh, my finances are a mess and oh, da, 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 da. Well, what's interesting is even with something like finances, even if you said, I don't know anything about finances, that's not true. You know what a bank account is. You know what a credit card is. You know arithmetic. You know how to add and subtract and multiply. So those things exist in the background already. I don't need to teach them to you. I can leverage those in our work. And then I don't need to appear to be teaching. But you know, when we begin to work with somebody in a territory that they really have never thought about, they really don't have distinctions in, then we need to give them something because I could ask all day, <laughs> well, what emotion are you experiencing right now? But if they aren't clear how to even notice what emotion they're in, we can't make progress. So I try to be very clear about when I'm sharing a distinction and I'm saying, this is the way I understand it. This is my distinction. Is this helpful? But again, one of the things I notice with people is that if they're speaking and I say something about, if I say um, they're struggling to name an emotion and I say, well, the one that's occurring to me is pride. What's so interesting is that if it resonates with them, they will say, yes, that's it. And if it doesn't, they'll say, well, no, it's not pride. It's more like, and then they'll tell me the emotion. So I'm quite clear that I don't know. I don't know what emotion you're in. I don't know what emotion my coachee is experiencing. I can get on the playing field by observing them, by listening to what they say. But in the end, we have to rely on that emotional wisdom I was speaking about. And again, people have this, you know, is they, they know it's just that they lack a way to articulate it. And when we give them that way to articulate it, it's amazing to me what happens because people then it unleashes that wisdom. They're able to speak about their emotions with a sense of confidence that yes, that is the emotion I'm experiencing and here's what I'm thinking and here's how it feels to me. And, you know, here's what I feel like doing. And, you know, suddenly they're, they're talking about their emotions. Mm -hmm. So you've started to talk about how you develop emotional literacy and you, and you have some really wonderful tools to support that. Will you, will you talk more about how you, you know, all the ways in which you develop your clients' emotional literacy? Sure. Well, if you think about uh, linguistic literacy, what would we do? Well, we teach people the alphabet, and then we teach them, you know, how to sound things out and how to write. And with emotions, I think it's quite similar. What I begin with is the noticing piece, because uh, this is something that I find most people don't have a practice of. They're, they're very busy. You know, they're engaged in things. They're doing things. They're not paying attention to what they're feeling. They're not paying attention to their emotions. And we've all had this experience, right? We're doing something that we really enjoy doing, or we're very engaged in gardening or painting. And, and then when we stop, what happens? We go, wow, I'm so hungry, or I'm so tired. Well, the tiredness or the hunger, it's not that they just suddenly appeared. It's that we notice them. Oh, 
we put our attention on them or we took our attention off something else and then they showed up. So that's the first piece. And often what I do is I have people do an exercise, you know, for a week or two in between sessions where they randomly stop three or four times a day and just simply notate the emotion, name the emotion they're in. And it, it sounds deceptively simple, but for most people, it's actually quite difficult to do that. And what's interesting is then to ask them to look at that bulleted list of all the emotions. They don't have to explain them. They don't have to figure them out, just name them. And to ask them questions like, you know, what do you observe? And what are the patterns you see? And what emotions did you think might be there that are missing? Or what emotions show up much more than you expected them to show up? And suddenly they have this awareness of emotions that is quite, quite surprising to them and sometimes to me as well. But that's a wonderful introductory, um, I think, exercise for people. I do it in my courses as well. But that noticing and then naming are, for me, the fundamental, the first two pieces. And then we can dig into the knowing piece, as I think about it, which is really understanding what's the story or what's the information that an, an, ex, an emotion is giving us or offering us. What's our impulse? What do we feel like doing? What's the purpose of that emotion? Like, why do we even have that emotion as a human being? So we, we build distinctions. But the final step, the fourth step for me, is learning to navigate using our emotions. So whether it's, okay, I'm looking forward, there's a meeting I have to go to, I'm feeling, I think it's anxiety. Okay, but what emotion would serve that conversation better than anxiety. Is there one? There's nothing wrong with the anxiety, but is there emotion that would serve that better in your view? And what is that? And how would you generate it? Or you find yourself stuck in an emotion, which often happens in coaching situations. And we don't try to get rid of that emotion. But the question is, if it's not serving you, again, what emotion would serve you better? And how do you get from here to there? Which for me, would be navigating. It's not controlling our emotions. It's really choosing how to get from here to there emotionally. And it's something that we can all learn to do, but nobody's ever shown us how to do it. Mm -hmm. So I want to make sure I kind of got caught the kind of this four steps you uh -huh. said. I, I think I heard you say is first, the first step is noticing that I'm having an emotion <laughs> and then naming the, as best I can the emotion I'm having. And then kind of getting a tapping into the story that's behind what's going on, the story behind the most mm -hmm. emotion, and then choosing like, is that the emotion I want that's going to serve me best now? Did I get that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. noticing, naming, knowing, and navigating. So that's how I think about it. Okay. Yeah. Love that. Beautiful. And, and, um, it, it, I get the sense that there's a bit of there's things you have your clients do between sessions that begin uh -huh. to build some muscle, I'll call it, around their, <laughs> you know, they're noticing, naming, knowing, navigating, kind of build yep. some muscle. Yep. Um, and I'm curious, what is that? What does it look like within a coaching session mm -hmm. uh, to put emotions at the center? 
Okay. So one of the things I share with my coaches up front is that, you know, you're going to tell me a story. You're going to share with me what your experience is. And that story is, I think, supremely important. It's what looks like reality to you. But that story comes from, it emerges from certain emotions, right? So if you're talking to me about, oh, something's very unfair. Oh, well, for me, I'm hearing uh, resentment because resentment equals, right, the story of unfairness. And in resentment, we have a certain impulse and it has a certain purpose. So what I share with people up front is, you know, I don't need to hear your whole story, what I need to hear is what's the core? What's the core of your breakdown or your challenge or your dissatisfaction? And I'm going to stop you probably pretty quickly to say, let's just talk about this from an emotional perspective. Okay, you're saying things are unfair. Here's how I hear unfair is resentment. Does that resonate with you? And then instead of talking about the unfairness, we start talking about the resentment. And why does it appear unfair to them? And, you know, what are their standards? What are their expectations, et cetera? And in the end, once they feel like they really understand why the resentment is there, then we come back to the question of, and where would you like to be, right? How would you like to feel? What would you like to be telling yourself? Because if the resentment you feel has you stuck, then, okay, then it's your choice to go somewhere else. The only thing I would say is sometimes staying in an emotion is extremely helpful. You know, just because it's uncomfortable doesn't mean that we should want to change it as the coach or even that our coachee should, you know, is that sometimes we need to stay in sadness because it's telling us something really significant about a loss in our lives, something we care about. So just because an emotion is uncomfortable doesn't mean we should try to get rid of it. And this is part of the conversation I have with my coachees. Can they, can they embrace all their emotions, the ones that are comfortable and enjoyable and the ones that are uncomfortable? Because those are all telling them something. They all have a purpose. But as soon as we start, again, segregating them between good and bad, positive and negative, and you know, then we go for the ones that feel really good. And actually, that produces a life in my view and in my experience, it's not particularly balanced. It doesn't give us the tools that we need when we experience those emotions that are difficult. When you have a client who, I mean, I think all of us coaches can, can perceive when our clients are feeling some degree of distress, but they're like really in their heads. Like they're not using any emotion words. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and uh, at all, and they're talking really from their head. You have a sense that there's something. Do you, do you, and if you were to ask what they're feeling, they still wouldn't use feeling words. Mm -hmm. Do you say, I can imagine you might be feeling, I'm like, how do you get it from all these really <laughs> eddy, non-emotional words to an emotion? Uh-huh. Well, the first thing is I don't use the word feeling in that way. I don't use it interchangeably with emotion yeah. because a feeling for me is a sensation in our body. So a knot in my stomach, that's a feeling, but that is pointing to one of several possible emotions. Yeah. So I don't use the word feeling in that way. And actually I'm quite direct. I say, so 
this story you're telling me, what emotion do you think lives underneath of that? What emotion do you believe is creating that story? And this is where often we get silence, right? Where they go, ooh, huh, hmm. You know, they really struggle. And then, you know, sometimes I use the, the oldest coaching trick in the book, which is, okay, you may not know, but if you knew, what would it be? And, you know, amazingly, that often works is they say, well, maybe it's this or maybe it's that. But once they begin naming emotions, and I'm not beyond giving them, you know, a list of emotions or inviting them to look at one of the books or, you know, it's fine. Use your resources, but let's shift the conversation from what you think to what are the emotions that are underneath of that or that are producing or co-creative with that thinking. And I find that there are techniques to do this, but just asking people how they feel is not one that I use because I haven't found that it's very effective. This is a great time to ask a question. Um, Dana, are there um, questions in the chat box we want to go straight to? Yeah, sure. So Brian Brannigan had a question a few minutes ago that said, um, you can coach a person how to choose an emotion. He said he would love to learn how to do that and kind of talk about that a little bit more. Yeah, and I love that. because And Abby later pushed back and said, I don't think we can choose emotions. So I love, I thank you, Abby, for that pushback. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the things I share with my coaches is that, you know, there is a, there are models that say, well, there are six core emotions or eight core emotions. And, you know, that, that model, those models are designed to help people become familiar with emotions. The way I think about it is actually there's more than 200 they're all unique, right? Every single one. So that anger, irritation, annoyance, frustration, those are unique emotions. They're not just variations on a theme. And so that's the first thing is I work with people to say, you know, what if you had a palette of emotions? What if you had, you know, 200 to choose from or more? And so then that gets them actually really curious, like, well, what are those 200? Well, again, you can give them a list or they can go find a list. There's, there, there's lots of possibilities. But again, this is where the emotional wisdom for me comes in is once they pick one, once they say, well, I'll tell you what, the emotion I'd love to feel is joy. Okay. For me, that's the step. They don't have to know how to get there. They have to know where do they want to end up. And for you and me, it would be like, you know, when you think about going on vacation, you don't figure out how you're going to get there first. You figure out where do you want to go on vacation? You figure out, oh, I want to go to Greece. And then you back up and you say, and how would I get there from here? And then you plan your trip. And this is exactly the way I suggest to people working with emotions, which is, okay, well, let's decide where you want to get to. You don't have to know how to get there. That's what we're going to do together. But pick one that says, you know, that would give me energy to move through or move beyond where I am today. And I think, okay. And so the thing about it is when they pick the emotion that they want to be in, they're committed to it. It's not about me picking it. And I don't know what would give them juice or energize them. I don't know. But when they pick it, they see some logic in that. They see some reason why that emotion is attractive to them. And that energy, I find it's indispensable because then they will engage in practices because it's where they want to go. And for me, that's, that's gold. Yeah. I, so I think what I'm hearing you say, I think I... 
what I was get, getting a sense of from the field that we're in right now is it's like, we can't just choose our emotions. But I think what I'm hearing you say is that, oh, I want to feel happy. I feel happy now. But it's more mm-hmm. like it's a goal. It's like, mm-hmm. just like with any work we're doing with a coach, I'm here with a client. I'm here and I want to be there. You're just using the, the there as an emotion. Is, yep. Am I getting that right? And then, okay, and what? And then, what? And then, what do you do? What? Like, what are the things you would do, or how would you feel, yep. or who would you be? Like, what, okay. like, what's yep. that look like? How do you get there? Well, yeah. imagine that you're feeling um, insecure. You're feeling like you're not important, and you say, you know, we have a conversation, and you decide the place I want to be is dignity. I want to feel dignity. I want to feel important, valuable. I want to be, I want to feel worthwhile. Okay. So how do you get there? Well, you're in some emotion now. Yeah. Which means you have a story you're thinking, right? So there's a a language piece going on, but there's also the body. Think about resignation. First of all, to shift from resignation to dignity, for instance, is a tremendous shift somatically. So we have to change the body. But we also have to intervene and change the story. And that takes practice. That takes repetition. So the story we've been telling ourselves and that we've learned and that we're really caught by is nothing I do will make any difference. So why even try? And in dignity, it's I am valuable. I have worth. I don't need to prove it. I don't need to show anybody. I, I decide for me, I have worth. I'm a legitimate human being. Well, that's a very different story for somebody to be telling themselves and repeating. So the practices are the intervention with the story. The practices are the intervention with the body and shifting those. And this is what we do in between sessions, right? Whatever somebody has chosen for their destination emotion, now we have to design actions and practices because nothing changes just by you know, wishing it by hoping that I could be in a different place. No, of course we have to work at it, but it's really not so different than other coaching. It's just that we're very focused on understanding the story and what's the new story, understanding what body I'm in and what's the new body. And then what are the practices that I can commit to that will little by little help me get to that new place. And then we have another session. And the first question is, did you do your practices? And what happened? What did you notice? What worked? What didn't work? Yeah. And little by little. I mean, I had a group today and it's amazing to see in three sessions, it's a group I'm working with, how different they were around, in this case, around dignity. It was astonishing in three sessions. So in my experience, it works. Yeah. And I think it's fantastic because it doesn't have to take forever. You know, it's a really direct method to help people and to empower them, to give them a sense of power about their own choices and how they will be and how they will live emotionally. Love that. Love that. So uh, one quick question, and then we'll go to our, our demo. So uh, there's some questions around what list of emotions you use. Uh-huh. Well, Lists of emotions are interesting because you'll notice that every list is different. So it doesn't matter where you get your list from. If you compare two lists, they'll be different. And what that tells me is that whoever composed those lists had different criteria. So I have my criteria, story, impulse, purpose. And if it meets those criteria, then it's on my list of emotions. 
but there is no right list, right? There are lists that we can work with. So in that sense, I don't think it really matters. You know, people can use my list, people can use another list, and I think it's fine. Because again, every list has 50 or 100 or more. And this is what people are needing, right? They need the language. And so it doesn't really matter. There is no right list in my view. There are lists and you can make your own. You can ask them to go to Google and write one or find one. But I think to have something to trigger the idea of, oh, that sounds like a really attractive emotion or that's it. That's the emotion that I'm feeling. That's where I'm stuck. And when they can name it, then they have a sense of, being empowered to do something about it. Yeah, right. So, and um, D- Dan has a list of emotions. Carla McLaren has list. The Center for Nonviolent Communication has long lists. So um, lots of different lists. Let's go ahead and, David, did we get a, uh, a volunteer from when we asked earlier? We did. I think Wendy Luke was. Oh, awesome, Wendy. So um, maybe, 15 minutes-ish, can that work? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> lovely. So we'll have a conversation here. And um, you're a coach or you know coaching. This is mm-hmm. a new territory to you. So so you've heard what I said. And really what I'm looking for is for you to share with me. Okay, so what would you like to shift or where do you feel a sense of being stuck or something unresolved? I am stuck in... Uh, fear or anxiety, COVID related, uh-huh. um, and how to begin to break out of the um, cocoon of safety. And every moment when I think I'm about ready, for example, um, a friend asked with whom I've traveled a great deal internationally about going on a trip. And I was thinking, oh, well, maybe I can. And then I got an email from a friend who was just in London and got COVID in London. And that puts me back. And I, I don't even know and normally I'm a risk taker. This is not an area. And I, I don't know what to do with it or how to be in it in peace, whatever okay. it is. Yeah, lovely. So for me, the first place I would start with you is to ask, well, you said fear or anxiety. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's lovely. a one way of quieting the bird. Yeah, well, I, beautiful. Yeah. So for me, these are a little bit different. So fear would be something that I think might hurt me, but I can name it like fear of getting hit by a bus Mm -hmm. or getting COVID and anxiety more has to do with being vigilant, you know, is that I think there might be danger, but I'm not sure what it might be. Mm. So do either of those resonate or do you think it's something else? Well, I've thought that I've seesawed maybe between the two. One is, you know, fear of COVID, but but the other is that there's an anxiety about it. So Um, Even when I went to an event this week, I was one of um, maybe there were 150 people there. I was one of 15 or so that actually wore a mask. So that kind of thing. Okay. And so um, where you pretty well named it, right? It's keeping me from going out. This is Mm -hmm. not something I like. It's there's a cost to it for me. So the question would be, what, where would you like to be? in terms of this, what, what emotion, if you could just name an emotion, would you like to enter this situation with? I think that one of my aspirations might be that whatever decision I've made is to have a level of comfort with it. Um, okay. <clears throat> so staying in isolation with comfort, 
would be fine or going out with comfort would be fine or, or some adaptation of that um, because being in discomfort doesn't feel good. Right. Got it. So what emotions produce comfort for you? Emotion. Oh. I should go get your book and look at the list of emotions. <laughs> well, let's just explore here together. What, what do you imagine when you think about comfort? And, you know, yeah. you feel safe, right? You feel held. You feel like there's not risk. I mean, all those seem mm -hmm. generally to do with comfort. But are there any emotions you would identify particularly with comfort? In the, sen uh, in the sense you're talking about it. Well, in the, in the sense where it would be some kind of warmth, sense of warmth, it would be an emotion, let's say. Um, a sense of well-being. Um Peaceful. I'm sorry, say the last piece again. Peaceful. Peaceful. Okay. Yeah. Peaceful. And so when you're peaceful, if you're imagined being peaceful, what would you be thinking? Um, and for this particular thing, it would be yes. it would be the sense of being able to move around in safety. Okay. Um, and also one of the nice things about that is the sense of, uh, I mean, Zoom is a lovely thing and yet it's even more meaningful when, when it's three-dimensional. Mm -hmm. um, so that sense of real connection is also something that's part of it. Okay. So that's something that's spurring this desire to mm -hmm. go yeah. out there. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so... When you think about being peaceful, right, what does your body feel like? What, what are your impulses? How do you move? Well, when I'm peaceful, my mind is quiet. Okay. Um, so there are fewer stories or states, so to speak, in my head. Um, there's a real ability to focus. Um, you know, focus on a flower, focus, I'm just looking out my window and I, I'm in Washington, D.C. and I look up to the National Cathedral. So there are clouds and trees and birds flying, that kind of thing. So, um, and when I'm peaceful, it's a sense of connectedness with whatever. So it could be the National Cathedral, it could be a person, it could be my bird if she would stop this racket. Um, okay. And what, what emotion would you connect with that? Looking at the flowers, looking at the bird, looking at the sky, looking at the, the sense of being connected. <sighs> wow. Well, there's an, certainly the, there's an emotion, part of that emotion is joy. Part of okay. that emotion, is, I mean, or the, the emotion that go with that is, um, Happiness, happy. Um, so is fulfillment an emotion or is fulfillment an act? Uh, I think of fulfillment as an assessment, like I'm assessing okay. being full or I'm assessing I have enough. 
Hmm. Yeah. So let me share some ideas about emotions Please. because there are certain emotions that give us that sense of peace. So one is acceptance. Yeah. Is that okay? It is as it is. Life is as it is. So I go out there, things may happen, and that's life. That's how it works. Mm -hmm. But another one, uh, sometimes for people, is the emotion. I think of it as an emotion, which is faith, which is, well, I can't give you evidence that I won't get ill, but I believe I'll be fine, right? I choose to believe I'll be fine. Mm -hmm. So that, that sense of putting, a lot of times people, of course, relate this to a higher power or, you know, to something outside of ourselves, something bigger than ourselves. But faith for me is an emotion, is that choice that, well, I can't prove it. I can't show you evidence, but I choose to believe that I'll be mm -hmm. fine, that it'll be okay, whatever happens. Um, and sometimes trust, because trust for me is related to not taking excessive risk. I know there's risk but I trust that I'll be fine or I trust that my, you know, vaccinations will keep mm -hmm. me well, or I trust my mask, or I trust that, you know, if I do get COVID that I'm you know, healthy enough, I'll recover or that there will be, you know, care for me. So I'm just wondering those do, do any of those connect with you in any way? Well, the faith does not. And by the way, one thing I didn't say is that because of my lungs, which are quite compromised, I'm in a very high risk category. Okay. So I'm fully boosted and so forth, which is one of the reasons why. So when okay. when I think about faith, because I have friends who just believe that they will be fine, okay. I believe that I've put myself in every advantage because of vaccines and boosters, um, and yet I'm still in really high risk. So yeah. okay, um, perfect. So the faith part doesn't. And trust is really, um, I mean, you're raising a question, which is, is there a way that I can, in my compromised state, get to, um, from holding back to being willing to be more open, okay. more risk-taking? Yeah, okay. Okay. So mm -hmm. tell, me, tell me about the emotion of prudence. What do you think about prudence? I've never thought of myself in that word. <laughs> that is not one of my aspirations. To be prudent is not. Okay. And the older I get, the more playful I'd rather be. So yeah. get prudent. Okay. Okay. So it sounds like that for you, what I'm hearing is that you really want to go out there. You really want to be connected with people. Mm -hmm. And that actually you're pretty adventurous. Is this... I wasn't pre-COVID, absolutely. Okay. okay. So it sounds like what you're really missing, maybe, is a sense of adventure, adventurousness, being connected with that emotion. Mm. That resonates. Okay. And, and for me, at least, the way I think about adventurousness is I'm going to go out and do things, and I know that it may be uncomfortable. I know that, you know, it's not all going to be great. It's not all going to be good but I'm going to see things and discover things I never would see or discover if I didn't go out there. Right. Yeah. So that sounds to you familiar. Uh, yes. That accounts. Yeah. Okay. But it, so go ahead. So my question is, I mean, given this push pull and there's mm -hmm. such a strong pull about protection being protected, mm -hmm. uh -huh. how, how do I add e even a, a teeny step of adventure mm -hmm. 
because something too radical, I think I'll, I, I don't know that I'm willing to let go. Uh-huh. Well, I think this is, the, this is the question. What would a practice be that would allow you to reconnect with that adventurousness, which you said you've had a lot of pre-COVID? So what's one specific thing? So here's something I've already set up for later this month. Okay. I will be going for the first time to a movie theater um, to the early show because uh-huh. I understand the theater is empty so uh, or mainly empty. So I've actually made a commitment to do that. This is okay. a really, you know, this is a big step forward. Yeah. yeah. But, so that's, but, my, that's my adventure plan. Okay. Well, you know, in this context, that's adventurous, right? You're going out, you're doing something new and I know you don't like the word prudent, but I would say that wearing a mask when you go out and do that, which it sounds yes. like you did before, actually demonstrates prudence, right? You're not, you're not throwing caution to the wind. You're saying, no, I'm going to go out and I'm going to experience life again, and I'm going to take care of myself in that. Mm-hmm. So what about a combination of those? If you thought about, huh, if I could create a path where I'm going to keep building this sense of adventure and... I'm also going to include prudence to the degree that it helps keep me safe. Might that be a path? I'm I'm willing to expand. So I have been, by the way, I was someone who used to go to theater or or concert or ballet four or five nights a week. Okay. And I've gone to none since, okay? This This is radical from having all these, you know, whatever. So someone asked if I would please go to theater and I've actually asked how many people are showing up. Mm-hmm. And the theater, which is mm-hmm. Arena Stage, is pretty big and only 50%. So I, I'm going to say yes, which I would not have done. So it's, and I love the word adventure and to view it that way. And um, I certainly have a, a lot of N95 masks. So um, and, and- and, you know, might there even be other ways? And for yeah. the sake of time, I'll just make this suggestion. But, yeah. you know, for instance, even seeing theater outdoors where, you know, that's a different environment that would maybe be safer for you mm-hmm. with a mask, et cetera. So you're still bringing the prudence piece, but you're mm-hmm. now extending yourself more into the adventure, which, again, at four or five nights a week, that's enormous to not have that in your life. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, of course, you know, how could you not miss that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you tap back into that energy of adventurousness, I don't know. What do you think? Um, it, it definitely has an appeal. Okay. And I definitely will make a commitment to do it and think of, okay. of small ways <laughs> and not five nights a week. Um, okay. But okay. Yes, this is in fact very helpful because I w- I've really been stuck and, yeah. um, and not liking being stuck. So thank you very much. Okay. Well, you're very welcome. You'll get my email address. Feel free to write me if you want a follow-up conversation or if you have anything Great. to report, I'd love to hear. So thank you very okay. much. Dan. Thank you. Well, let's go back to uh, Allison. So thank you so much. Yeah. Wendy. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so, if, so Wendy, how was that for you? Um, life enhancing. <laughs> I mean, definitely. I've never volunteered to to uh, you know to be you know on display, uh-huh. and yet because I I have felt so stuck and so conflicted that I thought 
I'll take any help I can get. So even if it's very public, so I really, I'm glad I was courageous. Yeah, me too. Thank you for doing it. So, so what questions for the audience and maybe uh, Dana, you can unpin Dan and I, I don't know if we pinned ourselves or kind of what we need to do there, but um, what questions come up for um, the rest of you in terms of what you experienced? We've got two, three minutes here for questions. By the way, I can say something that was really helpful and might help everyone else. And that is that Dan suggested some words that I didn't resonate with, and he suggested some words that I did. And the power of the words that I did really allowed me to move forward. And it also brought clarity with words that I didn't resonate with. So that's something for people to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Wendy. I did, uh, Richard, I, ha- I see your hand. I, I just remember a question that went to the chat box. It, which is, um, Dan, if you could kind of, kind of briefly answer, um, what about you've got a, a client, they're in a workplace, they're experiencing emotions, and they've got to go back and work the rest of the day functionally. You know, there was the question of like, is it my, how much is it my agenda to go to this place of emotions? And how am I supporting my client to get maybe emotionally activated at a time when they have to go function? Mm. Mm, well, I think it would depend on the situation, but you know, one of the, one of the emotions that we don't often think of as an emotion is dispassion. We think of passion as an emotion, right? That we're all engaged, we're we all turned up, but dispassion is also an emotion to me where we set aside sentimentality and emotion so that we can do things from a more pragmatic perspective, right? We can pay more attention to the facts and the figures and what needs to get done. So in my view, there's an emotion for everything. And sometimes, right, I need the emotion of tolerance or I need the emotion of equanimity or dispassion in order to enter into situations that are highly charged or where I'm feeling a little bit off balance. But again, this is part of emotional literacy until we have the range, until we know what that is, or until we can support our coaches to learn that or discover that, then we don't have the tools available. But I would say there are possibilities. And, you know, this is like everything else. You're going to begin and do a little bit, and you're not going to jump in with both feet at the beginning, but to go little by little until you feel really comfortable introducing these, leading your your coachee in this territory, just like any other territory, whether it's values or beliefs or anything else you'd be working with your coachee in, it's just another territory of life. Yeah. Yeah. And I hear you create a kind of a, a kind of a contract that, hey, we're going to be talking about emotions. And, and so that so it's not really it's a, maybe a co-created. So it's not like it's my agenda to talk about no. your emotions. It's no, a no. thing. No, no. And I, and I would be really clear about that. There are times I don't introduce emotions in my coaching or not very much. We work with language. We work somatically. We work in other ways. But what I find is that it's so useful that it's been left out of our toolbox in essence. And, you know, pretty much it shows up in every coaching session. And actually, I find that coaches love exploring it. They love connecting with their emotions. They love speaking about them and having a language for them. Yeah, it's a life tool. So, Richard, we have time for a very brief question. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, Dan, for being here. This is really excellent. Uh, It's a very 
kind of simple question, but probably not a simple answer. <laughs> there are 40 odd people here. And I think there are maybe eight of us who like you and I are guys. Uh -huh. And so given that most of us, uh, when we do this kind of work, it's a whole lot less challenging to support women in, in this kind of a dialogue. What's your, you have any, uh, uh, ideas or suggestions about how to begin these kinds of conversations with guys being a guy I, and having done a lot of work on mm -hmm. myself, I know how, what a difference it makes, but how yeah. do we get the conversation? Beginning? I think, you know, the simplest way, and I've worked with lots of technical leaders and, you know, people who, who are not very connected with their emotions. And I think the simplest way is to help them find a situation or, decisions in life that they've made that were really based on emotions, you know, whether it's their, who they chose as a partner or the work they chose, you know, why did they choose that work? Because they're passionate, you know, not just because they're smart, but they also are passionate about, it. oh, well, that's an emotion. So once you find an example that's relevant to them, then, you know, for me, it opens the door and then you can begin to explore little by little. So I think that's the easiest way. But I, I also would say that, you know, people come to me so ready to talk about emotions or learn about emotions that I'm actually kind of surprised sometimes, you know, it wasn't that way 10 years ago. So I think, you know, the, there's a sea change in terms of people being open and willing, both men and women. And, um, so I think there's plenty of people who want to, and if your coachee presents themselves as wanting to, then I think great to have the tools to be able to work with them in this area is fantastic. Nice. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, yeah, thank you Richard. A great question. Thank you all so much. That was, that went by so, so fast. <laughs> well, this was such a delight. I'm so appreciative to you and the work you're doing. Um, yeah. Thank you, Allison. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Dana, for your support. Thank you.